Welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard. If you've been listening to the show, you should know me by now. You should know that I'm an author. I put on this show for you to find authors that you love and to get you those people that you're going to enjoy reading. So with that being said, today I'm speaking with Dean Allen Johnson. We discuss his book. We discuss a lot of other personal things that we go into. It was a good conversation with him. I enjoyed it quite a bit. So with that being said, I do hope you enjoy the conversation as well. I hope that you go and look up his profile, look up him as well on his Facebook page, his YouTube. He has different places to find him, but most of all, buy his book. If it sounds like something you really are interested in, buy his book. Now, I would also like to point out, you might hear a string of authors talking about Ambassador International. Ambassador International is one of the author or authors, one of the publishers that I've built a relationship with, and I have them sending me authors that they feel would be interesting to you. So with that being said, I need to also apologize if I sound off. I, of course, as most of you might realize, I have a son, and that son likes to share with me everything that he can, even his colds. And I got his cold. So if I sound funny, I promise you it's just not me being weird. It's me having a cold, and thanks to my little son. So enjoy the show. Share it. Let people enjoy it as much as you do. Because if you're listening to it and you've listened to multiple sh episodes, I'm imagining you enjoy it. So take the time, tell people about it. Rate me, review me, even email me telling me what you think. I love hearing what you think, and I enjoy seeing those emails as well. So again, thank you. Enjoy the show, and I'll talk to you soon. So I'm here with Dean Allen Johnson, and we're here to discuss his new book, The Miracle Boat. Or is it A Miracle Boat or The Miracle Boat? It's just Miracle Boat. Miracle Boat. Okay. Now, it's an interesting story from what I've seen of it and the reviews I've read on the book. It sounds like it has a lot of gripping and a lot of trying messages that people need, people trying to deal with certain issues could really use. But as everyone knows, and as I like to really be clear is, I'm horrible about trying to describe other people very well. And it's to me, it's always better for you to describe yourself in your book. Do you mind if you tell us a bit about yourself and tell us about your book, and then we can go in and talk about it? Yeah, thanks, Eric. I really appreciate that. Great to be a part of this. Uh, yeah, Miracle Boat, basically the story is Dalton Russell, is the main character, and he's in a biased grip of grief. He's, he's lost two dear people in his life to suicide. His dad, when he's a teenager, about 13 years old, and then years later, his close one of his best friends and best fishing buddy, John Millington. And uh, it, just, it just knocked him to his knees as far as depression. The list of questions like, gosh, if I could have, what if I had known that people will ask in a suicide situation? And it's, it's, affected, it's affected his family life so much so. Um, well, then all of a sudden, he receives a gift from the grave. He receives a, a boat that has willed to him by his fishing buddy, by John Millington. Shelves up at his house. It's not in good shape. It needs a lot of repair. Uh, the, the owner, John, had pretty much customized the boat on the inside to himself, just aluminum fishing boat. And all that wood is rotted out. And it just needs a place. So 
uh, Dalton receives it, he starts to go through uh, repairing it and restoring it. And through that process, he starts to kind of feel whispers. He starts to feel nudges. He starts to get information like that the boat's speaking to him. His family dives in and restores it. And something special, he takes it out fishing. And then he's just thinking, it's like, if I could just have one more conversation with these people, either with John or my dad or other people, to talk to them face-to-face, have a voice conversation, I could answer my questions. I could tell them what I feel. He takes the boat out and he starts getting those visits on the water, on the lake, with those people who have already crossed over, all those people that are already passed over. Not only is it for himself, but he takes other people out who've also experienced loss and, and, and death, and they also receive visits from those people who crossed over and passed over. So I said, the situation where his family starts to restore tell, he starts kind of getting voices, I guess really from heaven in a sense, uh, from beyond, to give him guidance, lift him out of his depression, brings his family out, restores his professional life, his ambition, his drive leads along to, to do some other great things with life, but mainly it brings this family back together and uh, answers the questions and put those things to rest so we can move on. So that's the basis of the story of A Miracle Boat. All right. So how did you end up coming to have this concept? Because I understand you pulled some of your own life um, experiences and put into the story to make it feel more realistic. What what made you decide to write this book? What drove you to actually develop it, do the story? Because it sounds like from what I understand of your past in the book and the close ties of them, it might be kind of difficult in certain areas to get through some of that. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, I've been interested in writing and written stuff over the years, but nothing actually for publication like this. But in that process, learning from other writers, I've learned that a lot of people, their first fiction book. It's, it's very autobiographical. John Grisham is one of those uh, that I think stands out with that. It's not too uncommon. And some of the best stories you draw from real life. But the situation was, yeah, my, when I was 13 years old, my dad committed suicide. And um, that next month, I met a man by the name of Mike Williams. Um, and he, we ended up becoming really close friends. He was a mentor. He's a minister at the church where I went to and we became friends and then we became close fishing buddies because both of us bought boats that were mm-hmm. interested in it. And, and Mike, especially he res- made this boat his own. Well, in 2008, when I was, I had just turned 40 years old, uh, he takes his own life and he was battling depression. Um, coming from that background, having been you know, a minister, I've, I've helped a lot with that counsel, that situation. And I knew it runs in my family. When that happened, I thought I'd recovered from my dad's loss. And then when it happened with Mike, it's like, I did not, it, it just, it spun my life around, just knocked me on my butt, so to speak. Um, right. And it just, but I stayed in communication with his family mm-hmm. and um, they told me his boat, he had just moved from Colorado to Tennessee, to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And they told me, hey, look, uh, he wanted you to have this boat. It's available. You can have it. I drove all the way like a whole, spent an entire day driving down almost to Florida. I lived about North Alabama, a long way. I picked up this boat, brought it back. In the process of me pulling it out and starting to, to clean it up, I just started getting this nudge, like tell the story. Dean, take what you've learned from this and see what you can do so that others will also follow in the same path as far as suicide is concerned and tell your story. 
And it started to develop as like I started to feel like it was it was spending time working on that boat was kind of healing me and recover from my grief, a loss of my friend. It gave me a purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's and the story idea came about. That's like uh, Labor Day weekend uh, 2019. And I said, I was like, OK, you know what? Starting January 1st, I'm going to start writing this story. And that was the whole point was I want a message of inspiration and recovery that, hey, look. I've gone through these steps and this person has gone through these steps. Hang on. You can too. You just kind of lean on the people to help you through it uh, and find a greater purpose than just yourself or just something to hang on to. And that's kind of how the story evolved and want to kind of keep it kind of close with the family being involved um, in that sense. Um, And I I just, I would spend my Saturday and Sunday mornings writing um, in a way I I didn't really know where the store was going overall. Right. I just started writing the chapters, but I want to keep them short and to the point. But the point was to say, look, this is offering a sense of recovery. Got to fix the boat. Dalton's got to fix the boat to be able to repair and restore his family life and his life in general. So that was the the inspiration through all that. And and sadly, once once it got picked up the Ambassador International to to publish it, mm-hmm. we were in the middle and just started the editing of the book. My, my my friend Mike Williams has two children, um, and his son took his life on January twelfth, two thousand twenty one. And it was like, oh my gosh, it just brought all that stuff back here. I'm trying to write a story to help to prevent for, for read it. So hey, hang on, and here was someone do it. So I started doing some research on that and found out, hey, it's very likely those people who have for victims of suicide, it affects it intimately affects. The relationship uh, of six other people intimately. Well, a period of time, um, that's a lot of people uh, that make right. suicides in the world. And men, I think men, I think are 80% of the 49% of the population, but represent 80% of the suicides in our country. So that was kind of the process of that. And I didn't want to just focus on the suicide. I want to focus on, hey, we all would like to have that one more visit. And I thought, wouldn't it be great? I, I love watching uh, uh, Teresa Caputo and uh, Long Island Medium when she does those readings. It's just, it just fascinates me. I read the first phone call from heaven by Mitch Album and felt that same way. People have a longing to speak to their loved one one more time, just one more conversation. We, it's not possible. We, we can speak to them, but, you know, we don't have a, a conversation. But I think I, I do believe we do hear from they speak to us. It's not necessarily words or like I'm talking to this camera right now, but there are messages. It's just right. from, a, from a human standpoint, we like that. So that that was that sense. It doesn't matter what the loss is. It could be old age, it could be heart attacks, strokes, uh, car accidents, uh, whatever the reason is. We just want to have be able to talk to them one more time and tell them what they mean to us share things with us uh for that matter and you know kind of catch up and 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 let them know uh hey you matter to me and i miss you and they're telling us you matter stay put stay the course you've got a purpose unlike anybody else uh don't take yourself out too soon live your life to the fullest so that was that was the basis that's a lot uh (laughs) what was the purpose and the message i was trying to create well that makes sense now Where's your book actually taking place in the sense of you're in Huntsville, I believe. Where is the book? Is the book taking place in Huntsville as well? Or do you have it set in another location? I do have it set in, uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, because that's what I'm familiar with. And, right. and then also Gunnersville Lake, which is very close by. It's, it's uh, you know, 
50 miles away from, from Huntsville. It's on the Tennessee River, part of the Tennessee Valley Authority. It's the largest lake in our state, and it is a vast um, it's surrounded by these beautiful hills. North Alabama is in Huntsville is in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Mm-hmm. I would portray this because a lot of times in movies and TV shows, you see a lot of imagery of Alabama. It's usually the flat farmland, South mm-hmm. Alabama, things like that. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Winston Groom, who's from Point Clear, he wrote the book Poor Horse Gump. I feel right. I can wear my Gump shirt today. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know, you see that it's um, Greenville, Alabama, which doesn't exist, but Bayou Labatry, that's in South Alabama. It's, it's a, a pretty place, but a lot of people don't know how lush and hilly North Alabama is. So I wanted to set it in, in that setting um, and create that. And that's why there's a company uh, that Dalton works for, uh, Rocket City Tech, um, that is based in the Huntsville area because Huntsville has a lot of um, Department of Defense contractors. That's the the main source of uh, employment is either you work for a uh, Boeing or McDonnell Douglas or IBM. I mean, all those are here as well as NASA, uh, mm-hmm. the Army, the Air Force, um, Space Force is just opened up the headquarters here. So that's a very large part of our industry here. And we have people moving from all over the country. I'm, I grew up in Huntsville. It's my home. Um, and so that was that was the point. The other, the other thing I know this is a side note, but dialogue writing in a way that people hear uh, and uh, for southern speak the drawl and stuff like that right i find it fascinating eric that in our own state where my dad was from down in troy alabama south of our capital city in montgomery when people the words they use if it ends in an r it becomes an a and say like <laughs> you give me some sugar um don't hinder me when i mean hinder right you move up 100 miles to where my grandmother's from, which is Talladega, which Talladega Super Speedway, the racetrack. That's that's where my grandmother grew up. Okay. Any word is it an A because it's an R, so it's Talladega. And my aunt, her daughter is named Linda, but my grandmother always called her Linder. And it drives my aunt crazy. Can you spell <laughs> it? L-I-N-D-A. Linder. No. Anyway. Um, but that's a little side note. So, yeah, I wanted the setting is Huntsville, Alabama and Gunnersville Lake primarily. That's a long answer. Your question. That is all right. So let me ask this then, because you know when it comes to accents and draws and all that, the one thing that I find funny is I've traveled in my lifetime. I've worked for a company that had me traveling the United States more times than count. I've been in Huntsville several times. I so I'm familiar with it, but just the different accents, the different ways that people talk over the country. When you wrote it. Did you actually incorporate the different ways? So I guess, like you said, you have one family member. If it ends in an A, they use an R. If it ends in an R, they put an A. So did you incorporate that into the dialogue or did you spell everything out and let whoever reads it pick up on their own way of saying it? That's a great question. And I I did um write it into the book there's some characters in which there's one gentleman from lionville alabama uh, named clyde and i intentionally wrote it like that's near talladega i wrote it like he was he was from that area and i would i when you write dialogue or how people actually speak it's a challenge because you have to change the words you you know um like like i said linder and people would read that and think what is the deal and but the other thing is you kind of have to explain a little bit. Right. So I know that 
like a lot of ten lot of tendencies that I see is like at least in my books, for an example, when I wrote them, I put in general dialogue where I'm not putting an accent, but I write in my own tones too, which I always thought I never had an accent or a dialogue or anything like that until I moved out here to Virginia where everyone asked me, where's my funny accent from or all this. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, I, I don't have a funny accent, but so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of that thing where trying to take how somebody talks and put it on paper is a challenge in itself, but doing it where it doesn't confuse the person and also connects to the reader in the right way. So what drove you to actually go that route to incorporate that? My editor, uh, Shazana Maurer, has a lot to do with it. Um, when I originally wrote it, I just had dialogue, 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 dialogue. I just had, and she said, you can't just have people talking constantly. And unlike right. if you watch a movie or a TV show, you see that stuff. And, and there's things that we pick up on visual. We don't have to explain. But when you write it, and I, I, I think I write a lot of my stories based on like it's a movie scene. Um, and that's how I envision it and then write it down. So I've got to describe what color shirt or what things smell like or what there's smoke, you know, coming up from the background or something like that's misty. So it was it, that was part of it. Another thing is like, OK, she asked some question because she was in England at the time. And she's mm -hmm. from California. So she, she was asking me, she's like, do really, do people really speak? I mean, is that how they really things they say and, and things like that? So yeah, it is just beats all get out. Or one of my common phrases is like, you know, it doesn't excite me. I might say something like that just doesn't create my tractor and write it in the story. It just brings up more interest as far right. as that's concerned. Um, this has nothing to do with it. I remember seeing a show, I think it was Designing Women one time, and there was a uh, a young girl that was coming on the show, and she was Asian, Asian background. So she's coming in, and she just used the phrase on the show that, well, let me go get that big old biscuit. And um, it just made me laugh. But uh, yeah. just write it. It's, it's fun. I think people like to see that difference. Now, you talk about writing, I think, across the board if you look at news people and stuff like that the folk i'm just fascinated with uh the i guess etymology and study words and, and how we speak um the history channel did something about that said that they try to focus on middle america and the idea is what people talk like in chicago if you're a news person on a tv show in maine or if you're in um seattle washington they want everybody to sound like they're from chicago you're from ohio so that's mm -hmm. not that too far away so middle america that sense and then you get out you start interviewing um people and that's when you hear you talk to them and that's when you hear the real real stuff i worked as a tour guide at a state park when i was in college in, in idaho you really near yellowstone national park right and i don't have much of an accent i don't think but i do right. <laughs> <laughs> because where we live here we've had so many people come from all over the country to come to huntsville to work for whatever um the companies mm -hmm. here and for that reason it's kind of canceled out the accents here but when i was in idaho guiding historical tours people said no as soon as you talked we knew you were not from idaho and <laughs> of course y'all is used quite heavily um but uh, the picked up us i didn't think i had an accent but yeah it's it's there so yeah there you go well i always found it, way people talk even in just removing the um accents and things like that just like i believe if you go to parts of ohio for an example 
if you say something and somebody doesn't understand what you said or is asking you, they'll say please or thank you, kind of expecting you to take it as what are you saying, you know? Like, right. Oh, please? Like, what did you say? I mean, there's, and it varies just from different parts of the state where different words mean different things and ways that they're being taken. Now, mind you, it's been about 10 years since I've lived in Ohio, so things might have changed, but I doubt it. Right. But with that being said, what what really made you feel that your um your book, when you wrote it, needed that? whispers or bringing the voices in because you know i they always say that there's a thousand ideas for a book that every everybody has ideas for a book so what gave you that idea you said that working on it started whispering to you mm. what made you think about taking the boat out and the miracle boat bringing people to the person while they're out there fishing to be able to reconnect i think that there's several things um I think most notable was the fact that um, several years ago, I, 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 there was a uh, From the Earth to the Moon episode on uh, HBO. Tom Hanks put it out. He was trying to explain the whole Apollo era. And in that sense, he was talking about the building of the lunar module, which was hand built. Every one of those was, there's no machine. You, they're not stamped out. They were hand built. Um, and it was extraordinary light. Um, so um, when they finished it, and then this, the, the main person leading that development of the lunar module, Tom Kelly, uh, says, and from the Earth to the Moon, it's like, you know, I, I believe we, uh, you got a machine here. It's a bunch of metal and bolts and um, plastic and stuff like that. It doesn't have a soul. But he said, I believe that, um, that the machine does carry the souls of those people, people, people who made it. And so here I am with my, my friend's boat tearing apart his work restoring it and knowing that it's his hands that put that together. So I felt like it was part of his soul kind of coming out in a sense of like, okay, make it better, uh, fix it, repair it, go use it. And then the idea of you have to leave the physical earth. You got to get off of dirt. You got to mm -hmm. get out on water because I think it's, I, I'm still amazed the fact that you got these huge ships that can float on the surface. They weigh tons and tons of pounds. Right. They still can float. Um, they got that surface tension mm -hmm. that holds it up in the ballast and that stuff. But as soon as it gets it gets a hole in it, it's going to the it's going to the possum. It's going to right. Titanic. Um, but um that idea I think is kind of magical. Um and originally my, my boat was called Magic Boat because it's a sense of you get on that water, it's kind of amazing that you can do that and you can scoot across and you can go across the water from one shore to another, but you're on that you're off, you're away from earth. You're, you're, you're free. Like no weather, you're able to move in a three dimensional manner. Like you could in an airplane in that sense. I marvel airplanes too, but I think more people can kind of relate to, to kind of being on the water or boats. I also get transfixed when I'm around lakes or, or the oceans or rivers and just, just staring at the water or just feel it. It restores me. So that idea of like, basically when these visits happen, usually there's mist, there's, there's a vapor and I'm, I'm a follower of Christ and I've, I've studied the Bible for divinity school uh, for that matter. And in one of those studies, I think it's in Isaiah six, there's a description where Isaiah has this dream in which, um, he's in a big room and all of a sudden the room fills 
well, first there's heavenly hosts that come out there singing to the top of their voices. Um, and it's just, it fills a room. It'd be like in a, you know, you, you go to a, a concert and everybody's singing along. It's as hard as it is. They're not just holding back. They're speaking to their fullness so much. So you want to cover your ears like, this is amazing. This sounds wonderful. And then he described that then in the smoke filled the room, um, which I look at it as in the sense that that's for God's presence. If you look at it that way, it smoke and water, you, you put it in a cup or something, it covers every crevice, every crack. Mm-hmm. It goes into everything. So that idea is kind of a veiled experience where you have that, that separation between this earthly world. Okay, now I'm kind of going over into a heavenly world. I believe heaven's all around us. Um, and we just can't see it. We can't touch it. But just because we can't touch it or see it, it's not a um, it, and, and, and it's not a physical object that's still there. And that's kind of why the message I wanted to deliver in, in that sense. So first, you got to get away from everything. You got to quiet. You got to reduce the noise that's in your life. And there's visual noise too, because these days we got cell phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go here. You go to a concert. You can go to a, people go to church. They're making the choice. They want to listen to the person speaking, or they want to look on their screen on their cell phones. It doesn't matter what age. People will do that. Make a choice of that. So there's a lot of an interference, and they're not able to hear. The message is being trying to be brought across to them. So that was the, yeah, that's why the idea of the boat was the vessel that allowed the way to get uh, to the, on the lake and reach, um, well, through the, through the mist, through the fog, through the, through the smoke. All right. So let me ask this then, because it's one of my favorite questions to ask on the show is when I open your book, I'm on page one, where where am I starting off on page one with your book? First paragraph, first couple of paragraphs. It is, here's the struggle. Dalton Russell is, is grieving. He, he, I mean, the first couple of sentences, it's like my, um, I think he says, um, you know, my dad's death, suicide, suicidal death. When, when I was 13 spun my life around 180 degrees years later, when I would turn around 40 years old and my best fishing buddy also took his own life by the same method. Uh, suicide also knocked me on my butt, um, knocked me to my knees. Um, and it, the point there is, like, and then the boat shows up. He's waiting for it, and he's, and then the family receives it. And the next step is the next chapter. It's a matter of okay. He starts in the whispers. He starts tearing apart the boat. So that's that's the. I know I went beyond page one, but that's that's it. Okay. So now with that, what actually? I guess this is a standalone novel. You're not likely to have a sequel to it correct I, I plan on writing at least two more i want to make this a series and two more books miracle boat series uh, out of this one from th- okay so what will what do you kind of expect the other two or the other books to kind of follow along with is it going to be still out on going out on the lake are you going to try to sh- instill some other values and some other thoughts in there what do you plan on doing with it that's going to make the rest of the series interesting to people after they read the first book? Okay. Great question, Eric. I think two is one. There's um, Dalton has two children. One's Eva, who's a uh, 16 year old uh, girl in high school, uh, dealing with all the typical stuff that 16 year old girls deal with in high school. And there's mm-hmm. also uh, about an eight year old boy. His name is Ned. This is his son. And he's just, in all mention, he's just living life, just enjoying it. And, and, um, Two things. I think one book will be focused more on Eva, really 
dealing with her battles and, and discovery and kind of getting made fun of is like people start to hear whispers about this miracle boat. Um, kind of like very similar to um, um, the movie Field of Dreams. You know, that's mm-hmm. the feel that they will come and people start showing up. Is that is that really there? Or the, are, are, can we really trust you? And, and as you know, um, teenagers, other children can be cruel. So my right. focus on that one be kind of the Eva's story and how she is kind of led both by her parents and her friends um, to stay true to what really matters and um, find out some of her struggles. And I, I, I mean, I've also written in the story um, more about, I call it the evil one, that second force. We have good force of good and we have force of bad. On right. this earth. As they're fighting, uh, always kind of fighting for our attention and are pulling us in one direction or the other and trying to, to deal with that. So that's one that the stories, right? The other one, I, um, I think I'll pick up on with Ned children. Amazing. When you, you have young children that they right. are so believing and accepting of, of things. Um, mm-hmm. and then you just, it's like, I, I saw it. I don't have to question it. It was there. Uh, no, that's, it's really true. And, um, I felt like when, when my, my son was, was little, I felt like, um, both my wife and I were getting, getting kind of visits or a sensation that, um, his family that had mm-hmm. passed on and died was present and guiding us in that sense. My, um, when my son was little, um, he's now, he's now 10, but, um, my wife and I, uh, Tracy felt like we were getting protection from, family members are on the other side and we weren't really certain about it. Oh, is that really happening? Is that, or am I just thinking that or just imagine that? And we'd ask, we'd ask him questions about it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, granddaddy was here. We'll dis- describe him. And he described him as like, yeah, that's, that's, that's my dad. Yeah. Okay. And, and there was no question. Daddy, was it real? It was like, no, it was like, no, this is what happened. Um, and children will just, pick up on that at some point i don't even go into this and maybe it has a word of eva we kind of bring them away from that to start to doubt some more just doubt comes about from growing up right and so that sense of him kind of guys like no no hang in there but believe this is happening because there's a lot of times if, if we i think one of my favorite quotes is i'll um i'll see it when i believe it i'll see it when i believe it and that's when it kind of comes about as far as vision statements and trying to projection and stuff like that. And, and just be more accepting that there is another realm to this world that we can't see that's there. Um, and however you wanted to describe it, but I, um, I want to do it from the perspective more of a child. So that idea of kind of guiding that and, um, so that's that, that's the part of the next two books will come out from the series. Well, those sound interesting. So, it sounds like the series is going to be quite intriguing and really push people to learn and accept and try to find value as well, especially from what I'm picking up from you and the things you're saying. They sound like positive stories, which you can never get enough positive stories nowadays. So right. one thing I'd like to do is I'd like to thank you for being on here. I've enjoyed our conversation immensely and hopefully when your next books come out, you reach out to me, we can talk more about those. But in the meantime, this is going to end up being the end of the conversation for everybody else. Before I let you go, can you tell everyone other than authorblurb.com where I have your profile set up and in the show notes where I have the links you've given me, 
where do you prefer people to reach out to you to try to talk with you and connect with? One is is, is, is sitting there, my YouTube channel, Dino's Devo, D-E-A-N. Do a look of our author page for Dean Allen Johnson. That's A-L-L-A-N. Um, and if people have want to directly connect with me, they can send me an email at Dean Johnson HSB, uh, Hotel Sierra Victor, Dean Johnson HSB at gmail.com. But I look forward to it. And Eric, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful experience. Thanks for giving me this opportunity to, to, to meet with you and talk with you and share, share my story. Uh, trust me. Like I said, it was definitely my pleasure. So hold on for me for just a moment. Like I said, this is the end for everybody else, but not for you and I. I'm glad you made it this far to the end of the show. I hope you've enjoyed it because that's what it's all about. I'd also like to suggest that you take the time and go find the other authors that are here. Find that author that you're going to love and you're going to want to share. It's all about the authors and that's why I'm here. Now, if you enjoy the show, I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. If you think it's worth it, go to the website, authorblurb.com. You can donate money, donate crypto buy me a cup of coffee, things like that that helps me support keeping the show going. Right now, I don't do anything to try to delay, add, distract you. Everything's out of my pocket, and everything is meant to make authors be able to grow their audience and grow your attention. So, as always, thank you for being here. I hope you come back for the next show. And, again, take the time, explore authorblurb.com. There's a lot there that you will be very happy to take the time to enjoy. And as final note, rate, review, shoot me an email through authorblurb.com. That way you can at least let me know what you think. I'm happy to always see reviews and hear what you think. Thank you. Have a good day.